1: Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I'm your host Amy Stevenson. Now has your horse ever suffered with back, neck, pelvic or musculoskeletal problems? They could well benefit from the McTimony treatment and Nikki's here to tell us all about it. This is Horse Hour. I'd like to introduce you to Nikki Routledge who's a mctimony animal practitioner she's been working with McTimoney animal association for a long time and you're going to tell us all about it nikki how are you i'm fine thank you very much thank you for asking us on you see this is all very technical for me so it's like they're like tongue twisters trying to get my head around you know <laughs> when you're talking about the musculoskeletal system is it, it in a simple form how can you explain what it is how it works okay essentially the musculoskeletal system is the
2: system that allows us and our animals to move. So it encompasses the skeleton, the muscles which are attached to the skeleton and provide the power to move the bones. But you've also got a nervous system that's encased within the spine and then has nerves coming out of the spine and innervating all around the body to the muscles and the organs. And you have connective tissues including tendons and ligaments. So it's quite... A complex system hmm. of police and and power to move the body and that's the system that
1: we're focusing on now I've heard a lot the word that's been bounded around a lot over social media is McTimoney and people are saying have you had a McTimoney animal practitioner you need to go and see a McTimoney animal chiropractor and um, this is a word that I'm hearing a lot because it's not a brand name is it it's a, an actual type of, of therapy McTimony is
2: a technique, it's uh, what we use is a, um, a form of chiropractic technique for animals. Uh, we're not animal chiropractors. The term chiropractor is actually legally can only be used by somebody who has trained as a human chiropractor mm. and is regulated by the General Chiropractic Council. So we have to be very clear that we are not chiropractors because that term is reserved for human use mm-hmm. but what we do do is use chiropractic techniques for animals which are adapted um, but are slightly different to achieve a sort of improvement in performance for a lot of animals. So for example in, in horses, horses that are bucking, that have had problems with their saddle fitting or their foot balance, horses that are giving behavioural symptoms of discomfort, We go in and we assess that musculoskeletal system, focusing on the position of the vertebrae in the spine and looking for areas where there is stiffness, um, reduced range of movement, obvious discomfort, sometimes in the associated soft tissues around the spine, and we apply a, a quick and very gentle adjustment technique that's the mctimony technique, to rebalance the spine, to get things working correctly again. One of the big advantages of mctimony is it doesn't force things, it works with the body. The body has, if you like, an innate ability to heal. Mm. Um, So it wants to be better. The, The body is constantly in a state of trying to get better, trying to heal, trying to improve. So, what we do is provide an impetus to that. We identify the key areas, treat those, and then the body then goes through a process of healing in the sort of concurrent days, weeks, and so on. I mean, obviously, the longer term a problem has been there, sometimes the longer it takes to get back to top performance, whereas a more acute problem can take one treatment, sometimes maybe two. So, it does tend to depend, you know, on what's presented in front of us as to how we treat.
1: Mm. Does it hurt the horse, Nikki? No. No. No, because when you think when you think of the word manipulation, you're like, oh, oh, what does that? It sounds, it sounds <laughs> quite a yeah, it sounds quite a sort
2: of violent word, and I think that's where um, you know there are a whole range of different therapies out there, and some of them are much stronger than others. And one of the things you know that McTimoney is known for is being gentle. It's, it is much lighter. It's very quick adjustments, and it, that can look as though you know there's quite a bit of force behind it, but actually it's very light. And most animals, you know, horses, dogs, I mean, some people, <laughs> I've treated a bull recently. Have you? Um, cows, sheep, cats, you know, you, you'll see them go, oh, what was that? Mm. And look at you, and then immediately
1: relax, drop the head, lick, chew, snort. Um, Sorry, Nikki, you're going to have to go back to this bull. I mean, what, what <laughs> it's not every day you go and treat, did the bull have horns? Uh, yeah, yeah. Was it, I was mean, it <laughs> sedated? Or was it dangerous for you? No, because he couldn't move. Oh, bless him. Um, he
2: was a little bit of a... We we still don't know really exactly what was wrong with him. There was certainly some neurological deficit, so his nerve system wasn't working properly. Um, the vets have sort of come to the you know, end of their road with him thinking, you know, we don't know what else to do. He been took himself through a metal gate last year, and then he'd been out servicing cows, and then gradually he'd got more and more lame, which is when the farmer noticed brought him in, and then he was in a barn, and I actually started treating him I think I treated him the first time around January this year mm. and we did several treatments in a row and he, each time I treated him, started to move a little bit more. He's still not 100%, but he is improving. He is, whereas the vets were ready to, to organize him to be put down, he is mm. now out in the field
0: <laughs> and wandering
2: around. In fact, he did go charging across the field the other day, but I'm not sure that was <laughs> the best thing for him. But, you know, he's, it's, he's an interesting case. You know, we don't diagnose, we don't go in and say, well, I think, you know, it's got this, 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 and this. That's a vet's job and that's what the vets have all the training for. Mm. Um, but you do sometimes get these anomalies, these cases where the animal isn't showing conventional symptoms to mm. give a, a vet, you know, a clear diagnosis. Or, you know, in the case of farm animals, there's a limit to how much you can do. You know, our horses, we can do MRI scans and bone scans and stuff. You're not going to get a bull doing that. No. So you know it's it's sometimes a technique that's brought in to be used at that sort of point where really there's there's almost no
1: hope so for that bull there is now hope yeah bless him did you find that you built up a bit of a relationship with the bull over that time I know that sounds crazy, but... I got quicker at
2: moving because he was moving a bit more each time. no. Oh, so it's (laughs) not like... But, yeah, I mean, I think think as as much as you can with an animal that you're not going to see, you're not seeing, you know,
1: daily. Um, I was seeing sort of every couple of weeks. I know that sounds like a crazy question, but because with horses, we build up relationships with horses, we know they're very intelligent animals, and we build up Mm. a bond with them. I was just interested to see if a bull has a little bit more... Emotion in him than we actually think that they do, you know, because they're quite I think strong. all animals.
2: I think all animals do. That's a personal opinion, as opposed to a too many focus. Op- yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, yeah, I think there's an incredible amount of there's an incredible amount we don't know about animal consciousness, their cognition, their abilities to learn, the things they can do when put into sort of the right environment. I think we tend to influence or, or input what we want from an animal, and mm. if they are left to work more in a way that's more natural to them, more, more instinctive to them, it's, it's incredible what they can do. You know, the clever hands might not have actually been counting, but he was using incredibly clever body language. Um, that's a skill that he
1: has that we don't
2: yeah. <laughs> so, you know it's 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 all in
1: context isn't it really so if we're looking at maybe having you out like, to make animal practitioner out to help us is that something mm. that we need to go via the vets or can we just call you and say look the horse is is a bit lame I'm not really sure what's wrong with him can you help different practitioners work in different ways we all need veterinary permission to treat and that's
2: whether you're McTimoney, whether it's a physio, osteopath, anybody who is treating, who is not a vet or the owner has to have veterinary permission because we're what they call secondary care providers mm. and that's the law, that's 1966 Veterinary Act. Wow, so, I never knew that. Yeah, so for some practitioners i will say, can you speak to your vet, to make sure your vet's happy. I mean obviously if you called me and said my horse is lame, the first thing I'm going to say, well have you seen the vet? Because if a horse has suddenly gone lame, they need to see the vet first to ascertain why they're lame. If the vet goes and sees the horse and says, well, you know, I can't see any obvious reason I'm quite happy for a practitioner to treat, I've had that situation where sometimes I've treated for the vet because I don't know which leg to start on. Mm. And we take away the compensations and suddenly the horse shows, actually, I'm lame, they four. That's my worst leg, so that's where the vet starts from. In other cases...
1: Sorry, Nikki, how do you do that? How do you take away the compensations? Because if you, okay, if you
2: think about putting a stone in your shoe, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: that's going to hurt. Yeah. But over a period of a few hours to a day, you're going to find your back starts to weight, your shoulders start to weight. You, you will be compensating all the way through your body for the fact that there's a stone in your shoe. Mm. The animal will do the same thing. If they've got a pain somewhere, so say it's a horse starting to throw a hoxbab in, he's going to tighten up. He's, yeah, he's going to be laying behind, but he's also going to tighten up through his lumbar spine. He's going to be loading his front feet more. He's going to tighten up in his shoulders, his neck. And unfortunately, sometimes a horse will have a mild lameness that the owner doesn't necessarily notice and they work them on it for a period of time. So you start to get then other lamenesses coming in the other legs because uh. the horse is compensating for that that initial problem, which might be settling down by now, but they've now got other problems. And actually in those cases, some of the tightness is contributing to the appearance of the gait in the other limbs. So we take that tightness away, and for a period of 24 to 48 hours, you'd see a clear lameness on one leg, and then it slowly the horse would compensate back up again. And I've had, you know I've had cases where... I can think of one I saw recently, and it was a horse that had sort of an on-off intermittent lameness. Mm. And when we treated it, it became clearer. Oh, wow. So it was vital then to get the vet in quickly after i treated so that the vet could say, right, now we've got something we can nerve block, let's actually go with it and see where it's coming from. Funnily enough, it was coming from the foot, which 90% of lameness is. People tend to think if the animal's lame, it's coming from the shoulders in the Mm. front end, and it's not quite often it is coming from the foot. So having said that, you do sometimes get a shoulder one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, there's always one, isn't there? Yeah, there's always one. <laughs> so. so what would happen then? What are the sort of things that, obviously, we need to go to the vet, but what sort of things do we need to be looking out for in a horse? Is it just, you said it could be the shoulder, it's predominantly the foot, but are there any other parts of the body? Is the head affected? Is the bum affected? The whole body's affected,
2: but every animal has a different pattern of compensation, if you like. There's yeah. generalisations that you can have, but generally... Sorry, every animal is an individual, so they will have an individual pattern of compensation. And I mean, you're talking about lameness, but quite often people will phone up because the horse is sound, but it's not performing. Mm. So maybe it's bucking. Maybe it just isn't going forward, it's resistant, or they're um, feeling they don't want to pick up counter left or counter right. They're refusing to jump certain jumps. Maybe they don't want to do a spread. Maybe they're getting in very deep and just cat leaping, and they're not really jumping properly. It's usually a change in performance that makes people think, well, hang on a minute, you know, there's, my horse is sound, it should be doing this, why isn't it? Mm. And that would be a reason to get someone in to check the back. And horses change shape massively. I mean, the amount of research that's gone on in recent years into saddle fitting, back pain, there's a tremendous amount out there that indicates that if you want an animal to behave like an athlete, you have to treat it like an athlete.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely.
2: You have to have it treated, you have to have the best possible equipment in order for it to, to do the job. So...
1: I think that awareness is growing. I still can't get my head around the fact that you've got to get the vet out first because I feel like now there's so many people that aren't using you, which could be using you, because they don't think to phone the vet. So, for example, a friend of mine has a horse, has back issues. She's had the saddler out. She's had a physio out. She's had a massage practitioner out um she's had so much she's had the farrier out she's had everyone out but she hasn't had you out because she didn't have the vet come to see the horse so well she, she she's had the physio and the massage
2: therapist both of them should have contacted the vet so they yeah. both will have had vet permission so some mm. of us will say and physios and osteos and everyone are the same some of them will say to the owner check with your vet some of them will say right who's your vet and they will contact them directly oh, okay. so it works both ways and um you know we all have you know, contact with local vets, so we're known. And, you know, I've got vets that will send me referral cases. Mm-hmm. That's usually how it works. I mean, a lot of my clients contact me. And obviously once they know me and once I've seen their horse, then it's easy for them to contact me and then we just let the vet know that I'm going out to see the horse and their vet says, yes, that's fine. And then if I think there's a problem, I refer the horse back. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes you go to see a horse and you look at it and you go, no, I'm not treating that today. That's got to go to the vet first. But the physios will do the same. if there's a If there's a reason not to treat, mm. then the horse goes back to the vet because at the end of the day if they've got a veterinary issue um, that needs, I don't know, maybe they have uh, tweaked the tendon, then treating the back isn't going to change the problem in the tendon, if you like. The tendon yes. needs to go, they need to go back to the vet and start, you have it scanned, find out how bad the damage is and then follow veterinary advice, maybe painkillers, box rest, etc. And then the back can be treated once they've got a diagnosis because we're now working with the compensations of that injury, but the initial injury does need to be diagnosed by the vet first. So maybe if your friend is not having any success, the next step would be
1: to speak to her vet and see Mm. whether there's an underlying problem. Because another example I could think of is that I have lots of friends with horses that all have issues. We're we're in like this little uh, welfare group. (laughs) They all seem to be breaking at the same time. And honestly, these horses are spoilt rotten. It's not like, you know, they're raced around a track or anything. Yeah. So he's had, uh, his horse had an injury with his leg. And he's been on box rest for about six months. And now that he's on box rest, he's coming out with back issues. So mm. because he's not been allowed out into the field, because his leg's been recovering... Um, yeah. his his back the poor little man is he's really struggling with that so would that be then another example of he could say to the vet have a look what do you think the vet says uh, uh, you need to go and see McDimony yes I yeah see. I mean okay.
2: you've got a diagnosis on the leg injury yeah so and you've got a, a you know a program of work and definitely McDimony will come in and help Resolve some of those compensations and then give advice working with the vet on how exercise should begin, core strengthening, strengthening exercises on box rest and then going into you know, the, the first stages of work. So that's the that's
1: point at which the McTimony practitioner can definitely help. So you build long term plans then, you don't just come in, it's not yeah. a quick fix and then you're done, it's like no, this is a plan moving forward yeah and and for
2: most horses, I mean a horse that that hacks out a couple of times a week and just mooches about as a as a pleasure horse, we might see it once a year as checkups, you know a bit of an annual m o t but a horse that's competing we would see more regularly for maintenance anyway because it enables us to pick up where there are little issues starting that maybe haven't been there before and say, so, well, hang on a minute, you know, why is this starting? What's the horse compensating for? Or, you know, why is that developed? Is the saddle need looking at again? Is the teeth need doing? <sighs> you know, this, I'm throwing examples that you hear as suggestions for every case we look at individually with a whole ream of things going around in our heads <laughs> going, okay, what might be causing this? what needs to be looked at. Is the foot balance changed? Have they changed farrier? Have they changed shoeing? Have they, you know, is, is the horse getting older? Is it starting to show age-related changes? Are they going to have to change how they're working? I remember having a, a case where the mother competed medium to advanced level dressage and her daughter was intermediate eventing the horse. And it coped with that until it was about 12 years old. And then I think they were starting to get a few age-related changes and the horse was Struggling to do both jobs, Mm. and it really, you know, at that point they needed to decide was it going to be a dressage horse or was it going to be an event horse, and it should go hand in hand that it could do both, but the physical demands of the eventing, the galloping across country over fences wasn't helping the muscular development for the dressage, so it was at a crossroads, so sometimes, you know, you're looking at those sort of cases as well. But, you know, every day is different. Every animal is different, which is the joy of it, really. Yeah, and you're very passionate about it. Have you got horses yourself? I've got three and a half, if you
1: count the Shetland as a half. <laughs> it's a miniature uh, Shetland. It's a, it's a troublesome one of the bunch. Oh... Um, I saw a photo on Facebook that it was actually my auntie's horse, and um, my auntie's a hairdresser, and yep. she's got two miniature Shetlands, and she cut the fringes because she thought oh, I'm just going to cut them myself. She doesn't <laughs> like pulling, so she cut the fringes, and they they now look like they're the trendiest horses, the trendiest ponies on the field because they look like they've got Parisian bangs. They call it. <laughs> oh bless them! <laughs> Very cute. They're called Delboy and Rodney, and they look just oh, like brilliant. you know the dancing the dancing Shetland that you got off the three advert. Yeah, they look just I like, like that. that they're, but they're little your shetland the same is he like got small man syndrome
2: uh i think so yeah small small girl syndrome i think
1: (laughs) (laughs) so but she's cool she is good fun she's nice but a little bit naughty shall we say they are though aren't they i'm finding that with a lot of miniature shetlands because you it's almost like you're a little bit more lenient with them because they're little yes so they yeah. get into space a Well, you do have to treat more. them like a horse. I, I,
2: I did some research before I got her, uh, mm-hmm. alongside all the conditions that miniature Shetlands can get. And one of the things that was was put very firmly was, these ponies have to be treated like a horse. <laughs> because
1: <laughs> Otherwise, they'll completely rule you. So. Do you find you work
0: on your horses a lot more? Do you think, is it less? No. You- I- if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. Bring when your
2: work working, yeah, <laughs> when you're out working all the time, you you find that you get home and think, "I really must treat my horse. <laughs> 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 I must get around such. I have to book it into my own diary, otherwise um, it won't happen. Just because it gets absolutely manic, which is good. I'm not complaining, but it's it's yeah. You do find you you're putting yourself out for everybody else. So
1: yeah, they, we always come last, don't we? We come last mm. as riders as well. So our horses come last, when we're trying to look after everybody else. I say we. I don't look after anybody. I just I just. <laughs> <laughs> i just talk to people who know what they're doing so the mctimony animal uh what do i call it therapy treatment do you call it a treatment yeah treatment technique yeah. so the treatment yeah. um it's been around a long time isn't it yeah the
2: gentleman that uh developed the technique was called john mctimony he trained with a, a chap called db palmer and in human chiropractic and uh, he then adapted. It was around the 1960s. He adapted the techniques he was using on humans for animals. And if I've, got the story, if, the, if I've got the story right, from memory, it was actually a hunt horse. It was a client of his who had a hunting horse that was due to be put down. And John McTamney said, well, why don't I have a look at it? And he treated it, and it came right. Wow. So that sort of started you know, his interest in treating animals so uh, he he then started to train other people, and from that point on there was a uh, the college was founded and now it's a you know it's a big college in Abingdon it runs obviously human training, a uh, four or five year human training program, and a master's in animal manipulation techniques so All our members are trained to M level. They have either a postgraduate diploma or they have a master's level diploma, uh, master's level degree, sorry, in McTimony Animal Manipulation. So, you know, we are sort of the highest qualified that you can get, which is good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's not like anyone, you can't just go into a six week course. You're talking years of, of training. It takes between two and three years.
2: The human chiropractors that come into the course train for two years because they've always got, already got their human training. Mm -hmm. And people that are coming in from science-based backgrounds, so we have vets, physios, equine science, animal science, vet nurses with degrees. All our, all our applicants have to have a um, very relevant degree and experience that's relevant and a passion for it um they all come in and they do a three-year program because obviously they haven't got the same skills as the human chiropractors have so they are on then a three-year program and it's a it's a lot of training um but it's very worthwhile
1: yeah I bet. it feels like a
2: long slog when you're in the system (laughs) but once you get the other side and you've been doing it for a while like i have it's like yeah it was so cool i'm so glad i did that
1: And so just going back to the actual treatment of the horse then you, you mm. said earlier it's the overall you take a view of the overall horse mm. because when i think of and, and i am apologizing because I, do, I don't know you know so all i can do is, is ask no, the questions fine. that i think <laughs> so when i think of what the treatment that you would do i'd imagine the spine i'd imagine the pelvis but are mm-hmm. there other sections because when you when you say musculoskeletal I can now pronounce mm. it right. Musculoskeletal. I think. Okay. Well, mm. muscles. So, are there, do you do around the rib cage? Are there are there shoulder muscles that you do? Essentially we're working the spine
2: so atlas through the neck through the back and pelvis and feet Mm -hmm. Um, But there are are also rib adjustments and other areas that we can stretch and manipulate if necessary A lot of our practitioners do have some soft tissue technique training as well Some are you know have gone on to other courses and and are combining their training their maximally work with other work so it's you know, it's, it's a variety of techniques that we can apply, but the mctimony is very much the foundation of the treatment, so you know, that's the one we sort of start from and, and work forward from there. And at the end of the day, you need the horse to be as close to balance or, or as close to able to function correctly as possible and if they've got pelvic misalignment, for example, or pelvic rotation that's not being corrected any other way, that needs to have a, a mctimony adjustment to it to, to correct. So that's more the
1: bones then?
2: Yes. You go yeah, as deep working, as the bones? It's working on identifying areas where there's asymmetry and then correcting that.
1: Okay, sorry. I'm just trying to imagine it in my head when I look at and I think of the horse and I think of the of the skeleton and I'm trying to work out. Like, I like to picture what you would do. So when you're talking about realigning the pelvis you're actually talking about literally the bones underneath rather than because okay muscular. Uh,
2: if you imagine the pelvis um if imagine you're looking at the pelvis from behind yes and imagine uh okay i know this is a slightly weird analogy but uh, if you put your hands in sort of 10 to 2 driving position and then moved your hands up and down on the steering wheel yes. that's kind of the way the hips appear to move as the horse moves away from you Ah, Can you get that analogy? Yes, yes. Okay. So what we do is apply an adjustment where if you imagine on your steering wheel that one hand was sort of uh, jammed lower than the other, so you had movement there but not sort of a full movement. Uh What we do is an adjustment to bring that movement back. So we're not, you know, the old-fashioned term was we're putting a hip back in. Of course we're not doing that. What we're doing is returning the pelvis to a more normal movement pattern. But then it's up to the horse's body to take that on board and and utilize it. So if for some reason there's an underlying problem that stops the horse fully functioning, we're not Mm -hmm. going to force it. And I think that's the key thing about mctimony, is that it doesn't force the body to change, it uh, gives it the opportunity to change and improve again.
1: That sounds really clever. Very technical, but very clever. clever. (laughs) I hope I'm (laughs) explaining it clearly enough. No, you are, you're doing great.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's quite, uh, it's something that you need to actually see to really appreciate as well. I think, you know, we can talk about what it does, but when you see it actually being applied to your horse, you then can understand a little bit more why it's effective. And I think that's why people, you know, really value having a meat practitioner come out and treat their animal, because it, it's It makes sense to owners. They can see visually the horse improve and they can feel it improve. Mm. Um, They can see the animal really going, saying, oh, thank you very much. That's much better. Um, And you do get that sometimes. You know, I've seen horses that you just do a couple of adjustments on. It's like the whole whole posture changes completely, which shows how much tension they were holding as well, how uncomfortable
1: they were. Yeah, because I guess if they're overcompensating or they're compensating with another area, then they're going to have tension the whole way through their back, aren't they?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the whole body is very interconnected. We think of things in a very medical way of just thinking of isolated areas. You know, Mm. if they've got a leg problem, we look at the leg. But, you know, the the way that the whole body is interconnected, so all the connective tissues, tendons, ligaments, muscles and the nervous system, everything is so interconnected that it's very difficult to change something in one part of the body and not change elsewhere. The body has to. At the end of the day, it's actually a survival mechanism because if you can't adapt you can't continue to run, eat, survive. Mm. So the body actually has an incredible ability to compensate. That's actually, if you like, a good mechanism. But unfortunately, at some point down the line, it's a mechanism which affects us badly again. So, you know, the horse will cope with the problem. I've had people that horses have slipped, had an accident, a fall, something happened. And sometimes it's happened a year or two before. And the problem is slowly built up and built up and built up. And then when you do a treatment, they almost didn't realise how bad it was until after the treatment when the horse is suddenly moving completely differently again and it's jumping better and it's going forward. And they just thought, oh, it's just got a bit stuffy, I need to feed him more. No, actually, I need to have his back treated. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's those those cases are really rewarding, uh,
1: really rewarding. It doesn't always have to be, you don't necessarily always need a treatment though, just because of a, an accident or an injury, do you? It can be over, like you said, over a period of time, but... Could it be from them running in the field? It might be something that you don't even know about. They might have just pulled something and then overcompensated.
2: Yeah, yeah, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes with the best one in the world, you just don't know what they've done in order to be uncomfortable. And we tend to, again, we tend to look for something they did in singular. It could be a build-up. It could be a build-up of a number of different things, you know, that are going on, particularly as they get older as well. But, you know, as youngsters too, youngsters are quite weak, you know, if you look at the muscle development on a young horse, it's quite it's quite weak. The body is isn't as strong. It's not going to be able to cope with strains and stresses as easily as maybe a more mature, fit horse mm. with all the muscle tone. So, you know, that's why the muscle you know the core exercises are so important for horses that have been off work for some time. Ah, oh, what are the core exercises? What are they? Core exercises, activated stretches, so things like carrot stretches, those kind of exercises. Yes. Um, they're all things, they're all additional to the matrimony technique uh, that we use, but they're all things that our practitioners tend to recommend. Usually they individually specific to each case, mm. but things that they can recommend for the, for the horse's to improve after treatment as well to sort of continue that improvement
1: so nikki what are your thoughts then on um we're often hearing your horse should eat with if you give your horse hay if he's in the stable some people say it should be tied up other people say it should be on the ground to help stretch the horses back
2: well, personally, my opinion is it should be on the ground, not just to stretch the back, but because it actually uh, helps the respiratory system as well. It's much, much healthier for the horse to eat off the ground. It actually satisfies the psychological um, need for foraging behavior. So aside from them eating, a horse has a need to forage. So when we just tie up one type of forage, like hay in a net, the horse only has one thing to do, and that's eat. Put it on the ground, they can sift through it. You mix it in with different forage types, they can spend even more time shifting through it, looking for... You know what they want which bit they want to eat next, and that's actually a natural behaviour as well as the obvious stretching through of the back. but we've also had um we have some studies we have studies each year that have been put forward to conferences, and we've got two conferences coming up this year, and one of the studies that's going there is a study into the effect of the head and neck position during feeding ah. and the effect that that has actually on the neck vertebrae alignment so I can't give you the exact information in that study yet because we're not allowed to talk about it (laughs) until after the conference. (laughs) But actually, if you go to our website, which is mctimony-animal.org.uk, there's a whole page there with different abstracts on from all our different research projects that have been going on. So you can actually look up there what we have found with our different different research abstracts. At the moment, this one won't be on there until we've, we've presented it. Mm. We've also got one looking at pelvic position in mm-hmm. neonate foals. And we've also got one that looked at, one of our um, McTimoney practitioners looked at the effects of carrying multiple riders in African safari elephants. Really? (laughs) Yeah, so sometimes it's a little bit more out there, but uh, we've got them presenting at the third International VET Conference in London in August, and at the International Society for Equitation Science, which is in France, later this month,
1: so that's going to be quite exciting. God, please, please let us know. As soon as you're allowed for the report to be public, can you yep. tag us on it in Twitter? Because we'd love to see yep, it. Yeah, we
2: will do. Yeah. I'm really
1: fascinated in the eating on the ground because sponsors of ours, Stable Grays, have a uh, an automated feeder, which the feed goes onto the ground automatically. You set at different times. Mm-hmm. And in the h- horse's natural feeding position and there is this argument they've been doing a lot of research as well into feeding and whether it stretches the horse's back and it helps to have it on the ground and i'd be fascinated to know your your results in what you yeah. found because i believe it i really do i used to my horse used to eat so much better when the hay was on the ground or the food was on the ground and yeah. I love the fact what you say about the foraging as well. What he used to struggle with actually was if the hay was in the net, he used to get pain and um tension in his neck. Because yeah. he'd always pull the net, pull the hay out of the net the same we going the same direction. So yeah. he'd pull it from left to right, and he very rarely pulls it from right to left. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe he was right-necked, I don't know. But the tension was then in the right. Well, as soon as it was on the ground, he lost all that mm. tension, and his muscles relaxed in his neck.
2: Mm. I well, think- I mean, I think we can say that the results of this study were positive, um, but I can't say any more than that until, the- until we've the conference. <laughs> no, but if you game. think about it, I mean, animals tend to have habit patterns. They do things in a certain way, same as we do. If you sat down now and you've crossed your legs... You'd probably cross them one way, and that's the way you usually would cross your legs. You wouldn't necessarily do it the other way. And I think animals are pretty similar in that sense. They'll go to the hay net, they'll pull the hay out in a certain way, and then it becomes easy to continue that pattern. So they will develop habit patterns where we allow them to, whereas with the food on the ground, they're more likely to stretch down. I mean, I have seen cases of horses with very long legs mm. and a more normal length neck, and they have to widen their stance. So one leg forward, one leg back, to get the head down, a little bit like foalsward. And that then can, they, because they tend to do that the same way every time, they tend to develop slightly uneven shoulder musculature. Now, those horses maybe need to have their food down but not on the ground. So mm. there's always individual cases that you see and you think, ah, oh, you're not following the rule book, we need yeah. to think of something different for you. So that would be a case where I'd say, well, actually, maybe that's not so great on the ground. But for most horses, probably 99% of them, that legs and neck lengths
1: match, they, they should be eating off the ground. Nikki, can you treat foals? Is there a minimum age that you can treat a horse? Uh, when you can get close enough to it. Oh, really?
2: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, oh. obviously, if you're treating a foal, you're going to adapt your techniques and you're going to be probably more conservative with your treatment and have to really identify key areas but that's something all our practitioners would do. I've treated for example a pregnant mare who was only a few weeks away from foaling and she stopped putting her head down to graze, and she was so uncomfortable and I treated her extremely conservatively. I did the minimal amount of treatment I had to do Mm. uh, believing that I would have to treat her again about a week, well within a week To get the treatment, you know, the treatment that I effectively fit a normal treatment into. And when I came back, she was eating off the ground. She was happy. It was incredible the change that occurred just from treating some very key areas. So much less than I would normally if she hadn't been pregnant, for example. But I was very careful with her because she was, she was so close to foaling. She was a mare that had just come over from Holland. She traveled very late.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, and obviously, had a problem (laughs) so you know a foal would be the same you treat them very conservatively but it's amazing because they're young it's
1: amazing how quickly they respond oh god you're making me smile I love it I love the thought of happy (laughs) horses (laughs) (laughs) I smile a lot (laughs) and it's not just the wine so (laughs) bless you well listen Nikki how can we you know if we need any advice or, or want to ask a little bit more how can we get hold of you there's things to go to the uh, mctimony animal
2: association website so if you type mctimony animal association into the search engine it should come up mm-hmm. or alternatively the website address is www.mctimony-animal.org.uk and you're on twitter as well aren't you we are on twitter yes at mctimony underscore maa <laughs> it's brilliant thank
1: you so much that's okay see you bye bye <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for subscribing to Plus. You can hear all sorts of exclusive episodes plus you get to hear every episode of Horse Hour before everybody else. So right now you can hear Narvin Kerr who's a physiotherapist for Trey Health and she looks after international show jumper Jay Hallam. I also talked to Jay about his story what it's like being a show jumper. It turns out he trains eventing horses too so he's been in the eventing industry for a long time. He tells us the difference between the two, what it's like to be a show jumper, and uh, also some of the struggles that he's been through because it's not easy trying to run a business and train horses and be a professional show jumper. I also speak to Gemma Tattersall, I had a lovely hour with her, she told us everything what it's like to ride at badminton, preparation for Rio, her horses that she's got. It was just amazing. So I hope you enjoy listening to her interview. And then there's Rosemary Lang. She is part of the Mark Davies Injured Riders Fund. Now, Rosemary was friends with Mark Davies when he sadly lost his life. So his family and his friends set up a fund in recognition of him and in memory of him. And the fund is amazing. They do such great work from not only supporting riders that have been injured whilst they've been riding but also you know if there's anything that they need then the money that they have goes towards helping them so it could be a machine that they need or they might need a wheelchair or they might need advice of where to go then that's where rosemary's team come in so you can listen to all those on acus plus and don't forget you can follow me on twitter i'm at amy stevenson one and horse hour at horse hour and check out our website www.horsehour.org i'll speak to you soon
2: You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag Horse Hour. Follow Amy at amystevenson1 and go to horsehour.org for more equestrian advice and information.
0: Planning for your next trip?